Welcome to this week's episode of the HS Health Tech Podcast. My name's James, one of the founders of HS, and with me this week, I have Jake Leach, Chief Technology Officer at Dexcom. So Jake oversees development of next-gen products at Dexcom, and his team's responsible for delivering best-in-class glucose monitoring technology paired with an exceptional user experience. So Jake joined Dexcom in March 2004 um, to lead the development of Sensor Electronics, which are part of the first-generation Dexcom system. And Jake's had various roles within the company, including SVP of R&D, Director of R&D, Manager of Engineering. So he's been all around the company and been with them through a period of pretty exciting growth. So Jake's had positions in R&D at Minimed, which was subsequently Medtronic Diabetes, focusing on the development of glucose sensing systems. He's got a degree in electrical engineering, minoring in biomedical engineering from the University of California in LA. And on the podcast, we talk about his background, that engineering side, and how his kind of inquisitive mindset really set him up for a career in medical devices. Uh, we touch on how Memed and Dexcom scaled really quickly and what that was like for him within the companies. And about the diabetes tech space in general, so why it's so exciting right now and all the different devices and what the future might hold for eventually curing diabetes potentially within our lifetime. So as always, if you want to get in touch with us, leave us a message at HS Venture on Twitter, suggest a guest, let us know what you think. We're on Instagram at hs.ventures. You can get us on email at info at hs.live. And you can contact me at James Somaru on Twitter and LinkedIn. That's S-O-M-A-U-R-O-O. And you can get me on Instagram at J underscore Soms. That's S-O-M-S. So guys, enjoy the podcast. Learn everything you can about diabetes technology in health. Great. So Jake, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks, James. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from, Jake? Uh, from our headquarters in uh, California. Oh, lovely. Whereabouts in California? Uh, San Diego, Southern California. Glorious. I'm sure the weather's probably better there than it is here. We've got a very gloomy and gray overcast day down here in <laughs> London, unfortunately. Um, so very jealous of your California sun, but I already digress. Jake, I know that we've had a quick call beforehand, so I know lots about your background, which is super interesting. But for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you tell us your story? Sure, absolutely. So uh, my name is Jake Leach. I'm the chief technology officer at a company called Dexcom. And uh, Dexcom is a medical device company that manufactures a very unique novel technology for people with diabetes that um, measures uh, glucose continuously. Um, We can talk a a bunch about that uh, throughout the podcast, but just a little background on myself is that uh, I'm an engineer, studied uh, electrical and biomedical engineering. Um, really started off um, when I was, you know, long before uh, university, I was very interested in technology and how things worked. I was always that kid. You guys probably heard the story before where you're in the garage taking everything apart. And you're, you can never put it back together, but you're just learning about how everything works. And so, um, yeah, I was always interested in technology, um, very interested in circuitry. Uh, and so when I uh, got the opportunity to go to university, um, I uh, began um, in the electrical engineering group and uh, studied um, circuit design and and control systems. 
but then also at the time, I got an internship at a medical device company uh, called Minimed. Uh, and what Minimed did was they made insulin pumps for people who have diabetes. And so what it does is it's a, it's a device that the, the person wears uh, they, as, they, as they live their normal life, they wear these products um, uh, on their body. And what it does is it infuses insulin uh, more naturally, more similar to what um, their uh, body, uh, how their body generates uh, insulin, uh, different than injections with just a syringe. So um, it was a tech, really interesting technology. And when I, I started working at that company as an intern while in university, I had to um, put myself through university, my parents were not at a, at a point where they could uh, afford to pay for school. So I had to get that internship. Uh, and the reason I got it was it was one of the, the better paying internships I found. Uh, but then once I started working there, I really um, got excited about uh, biotechnology, medical devices, and how technology um, can be uh, adapted um, to, to help people um, live uh, you know more normal lives, uh, depending on what condition they have. So. Uh, as I was, I, I began working in that group, I got interested in biomedical engineering. So I actually, um, while studying at, in university, I, I, I did a double, um, a minor in uh, biomedical engineering. Uh, and it really helped. Um, it, I, I found it was really um, uh, impactful in my engineering um, studies to be working as a um, engineering technician in a lab while going to school. Now, that's not what probably not a recipe for everybody, but I found it really helped me apply what I was learning in school to actual engineering. A lot of the um, young engineers that we hire out of school often um, don't have a lot of practical engineering experience. Um, and so um, I, I always encourage anybody who's um, starting out in the engineering field to do as many internships as they can to get some real practical experience. It just, it, it really helps you out uh, as you move through your engineering career and when you're really starting out. So um, that was um, a really exciting experience. And so when I finished uh, university, uh, I, I stayed at that company, Minimed, and became a, an engineer in the, um, the group that was working on, at the time, a very new technology. Uh, it was continuous glucose sensing. And the idea was it was a sensor probe that was going to be placed under the skin. Uh, and that was just completely novel because at the time, everybody... Um, who needed to measure their blood glucose with diabetes was pricking their finger with a, a lancet, squeezing a drop of blood out onto a test strip. Uh, and so there we had this idea, uh, along with a number of other companies, all kind of work at the technology at the same time, to develop something that was better. Uh, and so um, I started working in that, that group uh, at Minimed. We were, uh, uh, went through an entire acquisition. That, that company was acquired by a very large medical device company called Medtronic. Um, and that was a really exciting experience uh, going through that acquisition and learning a lot about how much larger companies operate. Uh, and so it, it really helped um, set me up for um, actually what I'm, I'm doing today here at Dexcom as we've grown into a much larger company. Uh, but that those early days uh, at Minimed were really impactful for me, both as an intern and then as an engineer, um, learning about the technology and bringing products to market. That must have been an incredibly exciting, I mean, you mentioned it was exciting, but it must have been incredible to to join Minimed with obviously a really good skill set in your engineering with a real kind of desire to do this within the biomedical space, to then be working on something that has such direct impact to patients and then to go from a business perspective, exciting even further that you've obviously seen rapid growth and then an acquisition. I mean, at what point did you kind of enter Minimed? How big were they? 
Um, and yeah, talk to me about the sort of the growth of the company. I mean, how long was it between you joining and then the acquisition and, and fill in that gap for me as to what happened in between and what it was like? Sure, sure. So um, it was mid 90s when I joined joined the company. Uh, and the company at that time was about 400 employees uh, that consisted of um, uh, you know, corporate office staff, um, a sales force, um, mostly in the United States uh, that sold the the products uh, to the doctors and patients, uh, and then also all of our manufacturing staff. So we manufactured all of our product uh, in California. It was up, up in the LA area, Los Angeles. Uh, and um, so that was around 96. The, the sales of the company was about 26 million. So it was uh, not, not a profitable company at the time, um, but it was um, had just gone public. Uh, and uh, we were working towards profitability, but with a lot of growth. Uh, and so at the time, the real focus was um, top line revenue growth. And so we were um, working on new products to continue to make the experience um, with the insulin pump better. Uh, and then at that time, we were also starting to work on this uh, glucose sensing technology uh, that um, could could complement the insulin pump. So with diabetes, you're, uh, the, you're always managing blood sugar. And the way that you do that is you have to know what the blood sugar is. That's the most important thing. And then uh, you make treat different treatment decisions based on what the blood sugar is. Insulin is a, is a drug that's injected that um, brings the blood sugar down, causes the body to um, uh, pull the, the blood sugar out of the, uh, the sugar out of the bloodstream. So that um, kind of two complementary technologies, the insulin pump was much farther along. There were products on the market. The sensor technology was, was early early on. Um, and so we um, continued to adapt the technology. The first uh, the glucose sensor was launched around 2000. Um, and um, it was uh, kind of a very first generation product. And um, basically that, that um, uh, kind of led to the acquisition, which was uh, around 2002. Um, and that acquisition though, you can think about, it, we started 26 million in sales. It was about 400 million in sales uh, around that time frame, and um, we were acquired for four billion, um, and so that was uh, quite a multiple. But um, there was there was a lot of um, uh, you know excitement about the potential growth in the area. Um, uh, the device space for um, diabetes, um, there's a lot of different types of devices uh, that both measure measure blood glucose and/or infuse insulin, and those two. Um, technologies have come a long way over the past, you know, since the 2000 or the last 20 years. Uh, and um, uh, it's been really exciting to be part of it. Yeah, because those, as you say, those technologies now are completely normalized within clinical care. I mean, to be, to be part of that at such an early stage. Yeah, very cool, essentially. So then, because you, you went to Dexcom in 2004, is that right? That's right. That's so right. For, so you stayed for a couple of years post acquisition, and then did you go straight there? I did. Yeah. So I was uh, um, recruited um, by a previous colleague uh, that I'd worked with uh, at Minimed, uh, and then he had uh, gone and done some some work in the cardiac space, and then um, was uh, at Dexcom. He was leading our engineer, the engineering group here, and Dexcom at the time, two thousand four, um, was a um, company funded by venture capital. Uh, it was. Um, uh, private. Uh, it was not uh, publicly traded. Uh, and it was very much a startup. There were about 35 employees uh, and when I joined. Uh, and 
the entire company consisted of some some leadership, uh, you know, kind of executive management, and then uh, a lot of scientists and engineers uh, and, and manufacturing folks who who helped build these the prototypes uh, of the products. And what we were um, what the, the company was trying to do was develop uh, continuous glucose sensing. So this concept of something better than finger sticks. Uh, but uh, at the time, it was actually an implantable, a completely implantable device. Uh, that was the idea. Um, and it was technology that had been um, licensed uh, and then acquired from the University of Wisconsin uh, in Madison uh, in the United States. Uh, and so the technology was licensed, and a lot of the original um, researchers uh, joined Dexcom, and um, uh, we brought uh, started developing the the product, trying to make it a commercial uh, product. It had been an incubation at the university and within a small company for about ten years before that. Um, uh, and so, a lot of a lot of work had gone into it. But Dexcom uh, was founded in 1999 with the idea of let's take this implantable technology and commercialize it. And so I joined right um, after about they've been working on it for about five years, uh, and we were very focused on that. And what drew me to Dexcom was it was, you know, this is uh, early 2000s, um, very much when the technology startups were, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of exciting uh, work going on in the space. It was in a space that I knew, which was diabetes, uh, and it was a completely different way to solve the problem of glucose monitoring. Uh, and when I just remember when I went down uh, to interview a couple of times, just the excitement uh, of a startup is something that's hard to um, capture uh, within a large company. Uh, and so it was just, it, it really drew me in as a really challenging problem uh, with some really exciting technology trying to solve it and um, a real opportunity to be uh, part of an engineering team, a small team uh, that, that could have a huge impact. So it, it was hard to leave, um, uh, you know, a big company where there's a lot of opportunity to, um, uh, in leadership, particularly, uh, you know, across the world, you know, uh, Medtronic was an international company, is an international company. And so uh, it, it was hard to make the decision, but it, I was really excited about the potential of what the technology can do. And it was different than the way Medtronic was trying to solve the problem. So um, I uh, made the leap uh, and uh, started at Dexcom and it was, uh, it's been a wild ride ever since. <laughs> Very cool. So yeah, we'll definitely talk about the wild ride in, in a second, but I just want, I'm interested then. So when you joined and it was 35 people, and you, my understanding then is that this is a company that's trying to build a um, continuous glucose monitoring system. They are in the R&D phase by the sound of things still. Um, had they commercialized their product yet? Were they selling at all? No, no. So okay. it was still all, it was all prototype. Um, it was all research and development. Cool. So um, it is, so it is, so especially from your head as an engineer, then I suppose there were still some engineering problems to solve. Was that your kind of role to go in there and lead that? Yes. Uh, there was a lot of engineering problems to solve <laughs> and uh, both, both uh, on the uh, kind of electronics of an implantable that was going to go inside the body for, for 12 months um, along with the uh, sensor technology yeah, uh, and the electrochemistry of the the sensor probe. Interesting. And when you say it was VC backed, I mean, um, do you know how much they'd had by that point? I think it was about um, somewhere in the realm of sixty million. They'd done a couple of small rounds, um, and so I think we had about sixty, maybe maybe seventy million uh, invested in the company yeah. at that time over those five years. Uh, and um, we um, did uh, an actual public offering in two thousand five before 
before we'd launched a product. So we had no commercial product, uh, but we did have some good clinical data that we'd uh, generated based on some of the engineering prototypes we developed. Mm. Uh, and so we were able to use that uh, and um, kind of the promise uh, in our IP portfolio. That was another important part of our ability to go public was to have, uh, yeah. we had a very strong IP, IP portfolio. And so we, we went public in 2005 and actually launched our first product in 2006. Wow. That is an interesting model. So, so 60 million was invested pre-revenue, pre-product even. So you're even, as you say, working on prototypes and MVPs and things like that. Um, and it just shows, goes to show the value of good clinical trial data, assumedly, because with that data, you've then been able to IPO and, and get what must be a significant amount of money in after that in order to then go and get over the hump of um, launching the product. But for the 60 million invested from the VC community, that's a, that's a lot of belief, isn't it? It's, it's a lot of belief in that. Um, I guess the life science VCs at that point would be would have been the ones that, because health tech wasn't really a thing and digital health wasn't really a thing, I suppose, at that point. So yeah, I suppose it was more the life science VCs that were dipping into medical devices. That's right. That's right, James. It was life science and some um, just uh, kind of technology VCs from Silicon Valley were actually uh, interested as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so they, they, did, they did some of the investment. But your point about uh, clinical data is really important because, uh, you know, as the leader in glucose sensing uh, Dexcom, we get, we get approached quite often by uh, startups that have um, an idea or some potentially a little bit of technology already developed. Uh, and they're they're looking to talk to us about you know potential partnerships or even acquisitions, and I'm always very interested to to understand and, and speak to them about um, what's going on in their space and what what they're working on. Um, but one of the things I always look for is is pr- some sort of proof that the technology has legs. Yeah. Um, and one of the best ways for anything that's in the clinical biotechnology space is to have some actual data um uh, on the on the product that's um you know in humans that's always the best sometimes you can do preclinical data um you know in, in animal models but um having something to say hey this technology does work and I, i'm used to looking at you know technology that has issues because that's you know all technology will have issues early on and you have to work through them but there has to be this, that promise that it's going to work um mm-hmm. not the non-invasive glucose space is a good example of there's a lot of very um uh, interesting um, and great ideas of how to measure um, glucose uh, non-invasively. So without, uh, you know, um, go, you know, inside without anything piercing the skin. Um, but if none of them have panned out because when you actually go to try and apply the technology, um, there's just too much um, when it comes to physiology and other aspects of the human body that just kind of don't allow that technology to work. I'm still waiting for an idea from, from, from somewhere, whether it's within Dexcom or outside, that has a way to measure glucose non-invasively and mm. meet, the, meet the requirements. But it's just, we haven't seen anything. But uh, yeah, data is so important to, to kind of prove your point. Yes, and it, it is a really good point, actually. And it also goes to show the value of having expert investors and expert VCs that really understand this stuff. I mean, just to put that into in, into another example. So I, I was actually in a, a scientific due diligence meeting uh, a few weeks ago on a, on a scientific committee that I sit on that, that, that helps investments for an organization that I won't mention. But essentially, someone was presenting some data that X, Y, and Z worked in animals. 
and had basically cured this thing or did, did this amazing thing. Essentially, the you know a few different professors in the room that were on this scientific committee just said, well, yeah, I mean, great, it works in animals, but we know that we can cure mice of cancer. We know that we can cure mice of all these different things, but actually, end of the day, until you actually get over the hump to do this in humans, which is going to require a heck of a lot of investment in order to get you over that barrier, unfortunately, we can't really say that we're going to back this because as, as you've pointed out the difference between saying it works in animals and, and it works in humans is actually a huge amount and so you must have to g- generate an insane amount of belief in order to to you know get that investment to, to bring you over the, the the hump of those clinical trials so i can understand completely you know why startups like well like yourselves or like many others that undergo their clinical trials they see positive data and then they're acquired because actually that is such a defining point in their life cycle that's right that's right and uh, clinical studies um are not uh, you know they're, they're usually rather expensive because of all of the controls and everything you have to put in place to be able to conduct one so um yeah, get it, you know when when looking at funding, making sure that there's enough funding to get some of that clinical data for a um, technology is is super important. Let's talk technology then. So, Dexcom's product. So post IPO, you've developed the product and you've gone to market. Talk to me in detail and feel free to indulge yourself engineering wise here about the about the product itself and talk to me about the technology. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, the technology is um, uh, at the heart uh, of, of Dexcom sensor technology. We have an electrochemical glucose sensor um, that's in contact uh, with interstitial fluid, which is um, underneath the skin in the interstitial space. Um, that uh, the glucose uh, concentration in that interstitial fluid is the same as the glucose concentration in your bloodstream. What happens is the glucose is a very small molecule and it diffuses very quickly uh, from uh, the bloodstream into the body. And that's actually what, what um, uh, provides energy to, to all the cells uh, within your body. So the, the, our sensor technology is based on interstitial glucose sensing. Um, early on, uh, when we, we first started, we were trying to develop an implant that was a completely um, all-in-one um, glucose sensor and electronics package that could be implanted and then communicate uh, the glucose readings via radio frequency. It was a, a very special radio frequency for implant devices. Uh, broadcast that out to a handheld display uh, <laughs> at the time. Um, so that's like a true artificial pancreas, right? It's, uh, it's the one half of the artificial pancreas. It's the um, measurement of the glucose. And then the other half would be a device that determines how much insulin um, the right. body need, needs. So it's the, it, but it absolutely is one, one half of it. And the idea was be completely implanted. Um, and one of the, the funny things about the time, right, we were a startup, we had limited funding. And uh, we, we were trying to figure out, and this is long before the days of smartphones, uh, we were trying to figure out what kind <laughs> of display device we would use. Uh, and we were able to find, um, at the time, uh, pagers. Uh, there were uh, pagers were pretty popular, even the alphanumeric ones that had um, uh, uh, alphanumeric numbers and, and letters on the screen. We found some Motorola housings that were for sale. It was like they were discontinuing that model. And we literally bought Motorola pager housings and developed circuitry to fit inside there because we didn't, <laughs> didn't have the, the engineering um, uh, bandwidth and expertise to develop housings for displays. And we just needed it for clinical trials. So <laughs> we were literally buying, uh, you know, extra housings from uh, Motorola pager that was going obsolete and used those 
for our device. And so it's kind of that whatever it takes, you focus on what's the most important, which at the time was our glucose sensor. Uh, and uh, we figured out how to get readings uh, onto a device that users could see for those uh, early early trials. So, you know, whatever it takes um, it was great. But that, that technology, we continued to develop it for a number of years. Um, but right around that time frame, uh, when I joined the company in 2004, we were beginning to look at other options for taking the same sensor technology we were working on, but making it a little different architecture. Uh, and uh, what we developed was similar to what we have in our current product, which is it's actually a patch that's worn on the outside of the body. It's, just, it's a very small um, a device that's uh, adhered to the skin with an adhesive uh, bandage. Uh, and then the probe is actually put under the skin. The probe um, is a very soft, flexible uh, wire uh, that's actually, it's uh, very similar to a piece of fishing line uh, mm -hmm. in terms of its uh, kind of um, makeup and, and um, uh, flexibility. And so that's actually under the skin doing the measurement. Uh, and then the device on the, uh, on the outside of the body is measuring the actual signal, converting it into a glucose reading, and then communicating it today via Bluetooth to our um, different, lots of different types of uh, displays. IOS, you know, uh, Apple phones, uh, Android phones, iPhones, all, all of those devices, uh, we communicate Bluetooth to those devices uh, so that users can, can utilize the data. Um, but at the heart, it's, a, it's an electrochemical sensor. Um, and there's, there's a lot of um, importance in both the design and how you manufacture these sensors to ensure that they give uh, the reliable readings that um, our, our users rely mm. on to, to make decisions about their diabetes. So this might be a stupid question now, and I'm not sure if you'll actually know the answer, I suppose, but when you are developing this stuff really early on, so yeah, you're a startup, you're still in the R&D phase, yes, you've taken on lots of money in order to do so, but you're you know, working hard in, in the engineering part and the technology part. Are you thinking about the business model? Are you kind of aware at the back of your mind how you're going to genuinely sell this at scale? Are you looking at the payment models and the tariffs and all of those things? Or are you literally just thinking at the end of the day, this is the future. I'm going to build it and someone's going to pay for it. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's not a stupid question. It's a great question because, um, it's, it's a, it, in start, when you're a startup, often um, you have to kind of um, remove disbelief uh, that your technology isn't going to work and you just, you know, it's going to work and you're going to work as hard as you can to make it work. And there, you do need to, you know, consider uh, how um, the business model works. Um, but even uh, at Dexcom, when we were developing the technology, our first customers, we had very, you know, very small number when we launched our first product. Um, they paid cash for the product, so it was out-of-pocket expense. And this is, uh, the, we launched our first product in the U.S. And um, uh, in the U.S., most, most healthcare is covered, right? So people aren't used to paying for diabetes devices uh, out of their own uh, funds. They're used to their insurance, uh, their health insurance paying for it. And so it was a very early um, introduction to technology, and those, those folks were benefiting enough from it that they, and they had the means to, to pay for these products. Um, but uh, part of uh, what we had to focus on at the time was proving the technology worked and then ensuring that there was access to the technology and reimbursement from insurance companies. And usually 
they don't really, uh, insurance company has, hasn't ever met a, a healthcare device technology company that didn't say, hey, uh, my device is gonna make people healthier and it's gonna save you money, <laughs> right? Uh, so they, 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 you know, they've heard that a million times, but what they wanna see is some proof. And so what, what we um, did was we actually partnered with one of the, the large organizations, JDRF. Um, it's a juvenile, juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. So it's a nonprofit that raises funds for diabetes um, uh, research. And we, we partnered along with a couple of other CGM companies. We all got together and uh, JDRF sponsored a very large study that was um, conducted in both adults and uh, pediatrics and children with continuous glucose monitors and showed the benefit of the technology. And what that did was that unlocked, um, began, to, began to unlock insurance reimbursement for the product mm -hmm. in the United States. And that was really what it, what it took. Uh, that part of the business model was really important um, so that our products could be uh, reimbursed and, and sold to, and get, you know, more people had access to them because not everybody could afford the technology um, from, from, you know, out of their own pocket. But um, it's such an important technology for people with diabetes that we just had to prove that it, it did work and it did provide better outcomes. And it was really funny what the study actually showed was, um, you know, you, when you, whenever you enroll a clinical study, you have a lot of participants and some people drop out. And so what it showed was anybody who stayed in the study and actually wore the device got a benefit. And the more they wore the products, the more benefit they got. And, and the benefit ends up being their, their glucose um, time and range, as we call it, but their, their time in normal glucose range. So not too high and not too low, but their time in their in normal glucose um, increased dramatically when they use CGMs. And these were early products. These are not the CGM, the G6 like we have today. This was actually um, the first uh, or second generation, I think, of our product. Uh, and so it was not nearly as reliable or as accurate as we have today. And even then, there was really significant benefit shown and opened up reimbursement. Uh, and then um, that, that was really what kind of jump-started our, our massive growth. Wow. You know, I've been doing this podcast a little while now, and I've had 30-odd guests on, and you'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised to hear just how many entrepreneurs that have been successful in growing their companies have used that b2c route as a means of showing essentially the health tech world the healthcare world that there be it a device be it a digital therapeutic whatever it is that it actually works and people have been seemingly using that b2c route in such an interesting way and i don't think it's and I've mentioned it so so often on this podcast, but I, I don't I don't think it's one of those things that's completely okay from the public's view. I guess, especially in the UK where we have um, the National Health Service, the NHS, where it's you know everything's publicly funded, everybody expects to um, have things free at the point of service. But at the end of the day, in our country, in the UK, you know we've got a we've got that that nhs that treats 1.2 million patients every 36 hours you can't just introduce brand new things and hope for the best you know there has to be markets where you can trial this stuff and pilot this stuff and iron out the kinks because yes you might have done the clinical trials but you know there's a few other bits and bobs that you'll need to work out and the way it integrates into the clinical workflow and all those different things and it seems to me that in the modern day, this B2C route is a really great way of doing that. It seems to be across things. And I can imagine it's quite popular in diabetes with the, the amount of people that have it and the amount of people that have disposable income willing to actually test stuff in a relatively safe way with new devices and new tech because it's pretty cool that it's new and, and it's part of their life and they just want new cool stuff to be trying, I guess. 
Yeah, it is. We have a, um, a lot of folks who are very excited to participate in our um, clinical trials. Um, uh, early on, it was about they were interested in what is this technology. And now uh, a lot of folks are interested in what's the next generation look like. <laughs> so they do participate in our, our studies because even with our latest technologies, um, we're, our G6 is our, our uh, product that's um, in the market today. And we're working on G7 and G8. Uh, and those those products are uh, continuing down the curve of um, improving performance and reliability and uh, really uh, focused on uh, today is the, the ease of use. I'm just continuing to make the product as simple, easy to use as possible. But, you know, one of the things you mentioned, though, is uh, the NA NHS. Um, you know, uh, we've, we've uh, had commercial products in the market for over 13 years um, in Europe, a little bit less than that, but still many, many years. Uh, and we're still working with uh, NHS on um, funding for uh, CGM technology. We're working with local payers. Um, one of the things about CGM technologies, it's still, uh, it's avail it's widely available to certain populations and in certain countries, but there's still a lot of people who could benefit significantly from the technology that don't have access to it um, through their healthcare systems. And so that's one of the things that we we focus on is, is uh, getting that access for, for CGM technology because it is so important in managing diabetes. So if you are talking to local payers in the NHS, there must be, as you meant, you sort of alluded to it a bit before, but there must be quite a significant business case or health economics case, if you want to think a little bit wider, as to the benefits of this, you know, CGM, continuous glucose monitoring over what people might be doing now, which is obviously measuring and self-prescribing and, and self-medicating with insulin. I imagine that is quite a compelling argument then in that case. Yeah, it it, um, it it is a compelling argument. Um, it's very compelling, but it does take time, and so um, it takes time for every. It, it's really exciting to be part of something. We're basically changing the way diabetes is managed. Um, for so many years, it's been managed with um, finger stick devices, uh, you know, poking the finger and, and squeezing out a drop of blood. Um, you don't have to do that anymore with with uh, CGM with Dexcom CGM. It's um, factory calibrated, so it comes right from the factory. Uh, already uh, calibrated, so there's no finger sticks needed to calibrate it. There's no finger sticks needed when making um, decisions about how much insulin to take or uh, whether you need to eat some carbohydrates. So uh, it's really replacing that that finger stick technology that's been around for so long. So I think in, in many of the payers' eyes, it just takes them time to understand that this is the new standard of care, uh, and it's helped some some countries. Um, United States, in particular, we we have very um, widespread coverage for CGM and, and a large number of the um, type 1 diabetics in the United States use continuous glucose monitoring. And so that uh, has been helpful to show the outcomes that we're getting uh, with the technology. Uh, and lots of, and as time goes by, more and more people, um, uh, both Dexcom and independent uh, researchers, publish studies on the, the clinical impact and the outcomes uh, and how much um, more control people have of their glucose when they're wearing CGM. I was going to ask the question, are there any particular patient groups where CGM is more of an improvement over the ones where you get less improvement? But I suppose the answer is that where people are poorly managing their diabetes, CGM must be sort of the holy grail because at the end of the day, it's automatically doing that monitoring rather than them having to do it themselves. So you're just removing an entire human error step. So I assume it's those people. Am I right? You're, you're right. One, one of the really uh, exciting things about uh, continuous glucose monitoring is Anybody can actually benefit from it. Uh, even myself, I don't have diabetes, but because uh, I lead our technology teams, I, I often am um, participating in clinical studies where, and wearing the product and, and understanding uh, how things are working. 
Um, but uh, so anybody can provide benefit. What it does is it kind of, even if you don't have diabetes, it teaches you about how different food impacts your body and how it impacts your glucose. And even someone uh, who doesn't take insulin, um, you, you can, your blood sugar does move all over the place based on um, uh, how, what, what foods you eat uh, and times and kind of this, the entire composition of a meal. Uh, so it's really interesting there. We've, we've seen the products used for um, endurance athletes, um, if for um, recovery, ensuring that their glucose range is, uh, is normal after a, a really um, intense uh, exercise. Um, but the, the people that benefit from it the most where it is life-saving are, are these, these folks that um, have diabetes um, that are taking insulin and can suffer from uh, hypoglycemia. So if your blood sugar goes too low, uh, for example, taking insulin and not eating or not eating at the right time, uh, taking too much insulin, too much insulin is often what happens. Um, you you can die, uh, and and there's many cases it, it happens all the time. People die from uh, hypoglycemia, uh, and what the Dexcom sensor does is it's always measuring uh, the glucose in the body. Every five minutes, it has a new reading, and what it it does is it'll uh, alerts the user when their glucose is going low. And it actually even predicts a, uh, ahead of time and says your glucose is going to be very low in 20 minutes, so you should do something. Uh, that That is part of the, the product today, and it's saved countless people. We get all letters all of the time, uh, particularly from parents, um, because uh, of a, with a parent uh, monitoring one of their children has diabetes, um, they can't feel, often somebody with diabetes you can feel, it's not always, but often they can feel their blood sugars out of whack. Um, and so the children, when, especially young children, they don't always know what that is. They don't always know what that means. And so parents are always, um, uh, you know, having to pay attention to what their child's glucose is. And before continuous glucose monitoring, the way they did that was that they go over their child and poke their finger. Yeah. So you could imagine, I, I saw a picture one time of a child. He, they were probably like one years old. They had put socks on their hands and when they went to sleep because they didn't want their parents to poke their finger. Oh. Um, I mean, it was like the most touching picture I've ever seen. Um, so that all goes away with uh, CGM. The, the device is on the body, and it's communicating uh, the readings to um, the display device. And uh, in the case of a smartphone, it's actually forwarding those readings to the parent's smartphone. So a parent can spend, sleep the night and be alerted if there's any issue. Uh, and if there's not an issue, they can sleep calmly throughout the night without worrying. Um, that, uh, those are the types of patients that um, you, know, you get a lot of benefit uh, from the product, patients and family members. Uh, and so that, that remote monitoring technology combined with the alerts uh, and the alarms that are automatic on, on the product are, are really important uh, for um, mitigating uh, those, those low glucose events. Yeah, and I can see that. I can see that at the individual level, there's clear benefits that you've just mentioned. And also at the kind of health systems level, there's obvious benefits in that if patients aren't you know, having hypos and having hospital admissions. And if they're having much tighter control over their, over their blood sugar, then obviously the, the costs of the health system are going to drop. It's more of a long-term thing, I guess, especially at a population level where you've got people that are good and bad at, at monitoring their glucose, but the benefits are, are pretty obvious and clear. So I guess then that leads me nicely on to the growth of the company and, and seemingly just how quickly the, the Dexcom has grown and, and obviously through the, through the value that the products are giving, it seems that your sales have just gone through the roof uh, over the past sort of few years. So yeah, do you want to talk to the sort of the growth of the company a little bit? Sure, sure. So um, 
uh, we, um, I, I mentioned a Gen 6. So that's our sixth generation of our technology um, and that uh, is commercial uh, today all over the world. Uh, we're still introducing it in certain countries. <laughs> it was first introduced um, uh, about this time last year. Uh, and so, um, but early on, uh, we were trying to uh, improve the product so that it could be um, helpful and beneficial for uh, as many people as, pop as possible. And part of that was about making it more reliable, uh, the readings from the product more reliable, uh, because they weren't always early on. Some of the, you know, the, the sensor would say your glucose is much higher than it really was or much lower, uh, and they'd have to double check things with a finger stick, but it was still very helpful for them to, to know, understand how, how glucose was changing. But what really happened, the growth really started kicking off um, around 2012. And it was kind of a, a perfect situation where um, the um, insurance reimbursement for the product and access to the product to uh, a large population of, of people in the United States uh, and in uh, various countries uh, throughout Europe, um, Sweden and, and a few others, um, the, the access was there. And at that same time, we introduced a product called G4, which was our fourth generation product. And G4 was a very large step improvement in the performance and reliability of the product, as well as um, the ease of use. Uh, and so with that technology, it was everything. It was, an, it was a new sensor uh, designed for us. Um, it was a new uh, membrane chemistry. That's the the coatings that are on the tip of our sensor probe under the skin that is actually uh, making the glucose measurement, the reaction there. Um, there was new technology there. There was new technology in the electronics and the handhelds. This was before we had smartphone technology. So it was still a, a proprietary handheld device, but it was a completely redesigned product that we had designed to be small, uh, rechargeable, uh, recharge through USB cable. So all the things that, that many uh, consumers at the time, 2012, were expecting from a, a product, a consumer product, we introduced in a CGM. Uh, and that really kicked off growth because people started seeing, um, it was really the, one of the first CGM products that delivered on what most people expected from uh, a continuous monitor, which was you know, significant reliability uh, and accurate readings. Uh, that product, you still had to calibrate, you still had to poke your finger twice a day and enter the reading into the device. Um, but uh, it, it really was um, much more accurate than, than previous generations. And so that technology combined with the access uh, from, from uh, healthcare systems, those two things really jump-started the growth. Uh, and um, we continue to build on that um, technology, the Gen 4 technology. We introduced Gen 5, which was all about um, taking the performance and, and reliability of the sensor and marrying it up with a um, smartphone. Uh, and all of the um, great functionality um, and benefits you get from having a, you know, a, a connected uh, uh, device uh, with significant computing power uh, and a wonderful display and user experience in your pocket. You marry your CGM up to that, and um, that, was, that was the whole concept of our Gen 5 product. Cool. It's amazing, isn't it? Just what a, what an effect a change in reimbursement models or a change in policy or a change along those lines in the kind of environment in which a startup exists can make such a profound difference. So I know I've seen it a few times in, especially in some of the companies that we've supported on HS, you know, we even spotted, you know, some of these changes coming over the horizon, places like NHS England, the, the 
often set some of this policy and things and you know, you, you understand the direction of travel and therefore you can actually start bringing on startups and giving them good advice as to how to change around these potential start um, policy changes or tariff changes or as you say reimbursement models and things it's 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 a really important thing especially for a startup at kind of you know your stage and ipo stage to really be on top of that stuff and to and to make sure that um yeah, you're always abreast of what's going on, essentially. But I just wanted to talk next about the the space in general and some of the other kind of devices that that might be around. And I know that you're kind of leading on next gen products, so I'm sure you've got a view as to what the future looks like in this space. And I think you mentioned at the start that there's been difficulty in finding a truly non-invasive device that has you know the accuracy to measure glucose that we're looking for and that we can get from something that is invasive and some of our listeners might have heard of lots of different fanciful ways of potentially measuring this stuff you know even i've heard of things like you know contact lenses that can do ocular glucose and things like that but yeah i, j- I just wondered your view on 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 the space what dexcom might be looking at in their next generation stuff and also just some cool stuff that that's in the diabetes space that you might be looking to i don't know acquire or that you've got your eye on that you're monitoring to maybe partner with um i'm just interested in that from from you as an individual and i guess you as a company as well yeah it's a uh, it, it's a really exciting space uh and uh, there's a lot of um you know the technology development over the past 10 years um has been really significant compared to the previous 50 years i mean um you know in, insulin um was it was invented um uh, early uh, just about 100 years ago uh, just over 100 years ago uh and um but really the technology that's occurred in the last 10 years has been um, completely changed uh, the way that the disease is, is managed. And, and one of the things that we, we are a technology company, um, we are still in growth stage, growth mode, um, and we are working on next generation devices. Uh, and most of the focus of where next generation goes is um, uh, our, our next generation technology will still have a sensor probe, um, but uh, the probe uh, we're working to um, make the um, experience of applying the sensor even, you know, G6 is, uh, it's a simple push where you basically put the product on yourself and you press a button and, and what it does is that uh, is the sensor is automatically inserted under the skin very quickly and painlessly. Um, that, um, taking that experience and, and basically making the products smaller, um, lower cost is also a real focus of ours. For many years, our, our focus has always been, um, we need to get products to market very quickly uh, we, they need to be very reliable, so a lot of investment in the core technology itself, um, and then um, as low cost as possible. But where we've really been focusing uh, over the last um, probably four years has been on taking the core technology and inventing around the making it lower cost. We know that for a CGM to be accessible um, uh, to really broad markets, uh, the um, the cost is a is a significant consideration. Uh, and so it is something that uh, we're focused on for our next generation and, and generation after that. And uh, that comes down to designing the, the product and the, the process for which it's manufactured um, to be you know, low, um, low cost. It's really, it, I remember the days when we would ship one product or four products a day. Uh, I, used, I used to actually go down to the, the shipping dock and watch the boxes get packed and there was one guy in one little room packing up four boxes uh you know now now we're selling you know millions of sensors a month uh and so it's really just um a different scale uh and so we've had to adapt our engineering team and and 
um, the way we work to be able to do things at that scale, um, but while still you know being quick uh, and getting new products to market as fast as possible. Um, but it is it has it has evolved the way way we've worked. But you know, to your question about what else is going on in the space, um, there's still a lot of um, development going on in alternate ways to measure glucose. Um, Non-invasive is it's such a promising concept that I think there's still appetite to invest uh, in in those in different areas. But um, I think the appetite is a little bit less than it was in the past, just because there hasn't really been any success. There's been a lot of companies that have been funded and. Um, haven't really uh, panned out in that area, but you know, there's still things to try um, and there's still, uh, you know, areas to pursue. And so we keep a very watchful eye and we, we stay in contact with uh, many, uh, most of the startups in the space that are working on alternate ways to measure glucose uh, aside from a probe under the skin. Uh, because, um, you know, if something looked interesting, we, we would definitely acquire it because um, we want you know, the, the best product in continuous glucose monitoring. Um, we, to date, we haven't seen anything that is reliable enough, um, but we're definitely, I, mean, I encourage anybody who's working on that, that technology, um, if you think you've got something to contact us um, and um, we, we'd love to talk to you about it. And even, you know, often we give advice to, to, to companies that are working in that space because we, we've been there and, and we know uh, what it took to get where we, we are today. So, um, but there's a lot, there's still exciting work going on. I think some of the most exciting near-term technology advancement has been in the area of um, automated insulin delivery. So as you mentioned, like the artificial pancreas, um, you know, 10 years ago, it was really just a research project. There were a lot of people working on taking continuous glucose readings and using that to determine how much insulin should be delivered. And then, um, you know, connecting up to some sort of insulin delivery device, usually an insulin pump. And, and pumping that insulin into the body to control the glucose readings. Uh, very, a lot of research projects. And, and just actually at the American Diabetes Association meeting um, in June, just, just last month, uh, we saw data from a large clinical study with um, a uh, product that's a, it's a Dexcom sensor paired up with one of our insulin pump partners, Tandem. And uh, we saw really good results. Um, not one person who started in that clinical study dropped out. Um, I haven't ever seen a study like that. Uh, not one person uh, decided that this study was not for them. They, they liked the technology and enjoyed it uh, wearing this product so much that um, <laughs> nobody dropped out. So I think that was a really strong statement for the, the technology. And then the outcomes were wonderful too, significant improvements in their, their time and range, their normal glucose readings, uh, reduced hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. So uh, really exciting. Uh, and so I think that you know, there was a number of folks uh, d during that data presentation that kind of stood up and said, this type of technology has finally arrived. Uh, we really do have um, a product that both uh, can uh, deliver on the promise of automated insulin delivery and as well as people uh, are willing to use it and, and see the benefit. Often some of the earlier technologies were complicated and hard uh, for the users to, you know, keep keep running in that auto uh, closed loop mode. So I think this it's really exciting and there's still plenty to, to, to go there. We, we acquired a company recently uh, called Type Zero, which um, their main focus was on um, automated insulin delivery algorithms. So the part, the mathematics that takes the CGM reading and determines how much insulin to provide um, because we knew there's just so much excitement in the space and so much opportunity that uh, we acquired that company and are, are working with our insulin partners um, to integrate that algorithm technology, the automated insulin delivery technology into their products. 
you can really see such tangible improvements in so many different parts along the pathway because as you say you know that company that you've just acquired sits at a different part of the pathway it's the software part to your hardware part in in this specific example but there are so many other interesting innovations that are occurring just in this you know in this one disease it seems quite well demarcated and it seems that there are so many things that can happen and so many things that are happening that it's genuinely a disease that in some way, shape or form I can see being cured or, you know, at least a workaround to a cure within our lifetimes, you know, and it's, I think that's just a really, really cool space to keep an eye on and a great offer that you made there to any of our listeners that are in the diabetes space that do have um, technology that, that might be applicable to certainly get in touch with Jake. So Jake, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I can't believe we've run out of time. It's gone so quickly, but the way that we end these podcasts is I'll hand back over to you to kind of summarize a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Dexcom and to perhaps to repeat your ask of our audience yet again, but thank you so much for coming on and uh, yeah, over to you to close us out. Thanks, James. I, I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be on the podcast to speak with you today. And um, in summary, um, uh, about myself, my background was was engineering and uh, electrical engineering, and I got very interested in life sciences and medical devices through a, through an internship uh, at a company um, in that space, uh, and really focused on um, developing technology. I've been in diabetes my entire career, so started as an intern in college working on diabetes products. Um, and I think the reason it, it, it's such a compelling thing is because it affects so many people. I mean, just in the UK, there's 3.7 million people with diabetes. I mean, it is really an epidemic. Uh, and so um, there, there was, you know, I, I got the opportunity to work in these diabetes companies that had the benefit of a lot of funding because the, the um, issues with diabetes are so large uh, and um, the benefit of, of the promise of what the technology could provide in, in decreasing costs and improving outcomes in diabetes is, really at the, the heart of why there are, is so much um, uh, technology development going on in the space. Uh, and so I, I joined a startup called Dexcom and uh, really uh, kind of worked my way up into leadership there uh, over time, uh, really focused on the technology side. I'm the chief technology officer of Dexcom today. Uh, and we're still very much in the growth phase and focused on uh, developing products for, for people with diabetes that uh, really solve, solve the need of how, how uh, to live a normal life um, with uh, uh, such a challenging um, condition. Uh, and, um, you know, I, one of the things I just mentioned to, to folks out there is um, uh, no matter what space you're in, um, uh, the, f the focus needs to be on, um, you know, just remove disbelief that your technology is not going to work and just, you know, it's going to work, focus on it. Uh, and um, you don't, don't get discouraged by people questioning. I, I do it all the time. People come to me and they they, they show me a technology and I say, well, yeah, but you haven't really proved it works. Uh, and, you know, don't be discouraged by that. People need to see some proof before they will make uh, large um, investments or, or bets on, on the technology. So stay focused, uh, keep at it, um, and keep in mind the business model of how the product goes to market. Um, you know, whether as a, as a technology innovator, often there's other folks in the company that you can task with that, but you got to make sure that somebody is looking at the business model because um, if nobody uh, can get access to your technology, then it's not, it's not going to do any good. Thanks so much, Jake. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to ask you any questions? Yeah, the best, the best, the best way is um, you go to our website uh, and there's an information um, section and they can, they can post comments. Uh, and um, we also have a Facebook page uh, that's got, um, we have a lot, we um, monitor that and a lot of people put up, um, you know, in inquiries, interest in the, um, 
uh, technology or uh, in partnerships or investments. Um, and so I think that's, that's the best way, best way to do it. Perfect. Thanks so much, Jake. Thank you, James. It was a real pleasure to be here.